We had a really amazing week at Camp Yeshua. Um, it was my second year there, and this year I was privileged to be able to bring my second oldest son as well as my oldest son, and what an amazing ministry that is. I mean, just just seeing the lives that are changed, the experiences people have, and it's, it, it's amazing. So what I wanted to talk about today, though, is what happens after. You've had that experience, right? You've been convicted that your life needs to be headed towards something, that your life is currently headed towards disaster, and we've all been there. And you've decided you need to make a change. You've professed allegiance to our King Yeshua, and you've repented from those sins that were in your life. You've been forgiven. You've received that gift of forgiveness. You've committed your life to God. You understand that there's a need for embodied allegiance to King Yeshua, which we understand as obedient living, where, and we find our instructions there in the Torah and elsewhere in the scripture. And just for those of you, when I say Torah, I do mean all of scripture, not just those first five books in the Bible. All of scripture is God's wisdom poured out for us to, for us to understand not only how to relate to him, but what it means to live a life of allegiance to him. You've also come to understand that God has a place for you within the body. He has a place for you within this temple of humanity that we now live within. You've had that fired up experience at camp or at a conference or at your church gathering and you, that, that fire burns into Sunday and it's great. You're recovering from that, that amazing time and then you hit Monday and you're back at school or work or whatever, and you've still got the fire burning, you're still, you're still amped up, and it's, it's starting to kind of cool down, and then Tuesday hits. And suddenly you're like, whoa, I'm back at normal life. And, and all of these things that I got excited about, they're, they're actually a little bit harder when I'm where I'm at, whether that's school or a job or whatever the place may be, than it was when I was at that place surrounded by believers, being filled with the Spirit and all those things. So what now that it's Tuesday? How do we function? You're in a certain setup. As a teenager as a, or a young adult, you have had this amazing experience You've given or recommitted your life to Jesus, but now you're back at home. Maybe your home has in it a parent who doesn't know how to show love. Or maybe you have friends who don't have the same values as you and you don't feel that God is calling you to cut off those relationships. And I don't think that God th is telling us that, hey, by the way, now that you've, you've joined me, you need to go become a hermit and go live out in the desert. We're called to remain in those relationships and be a light to the nations. 
But it's a different reality when you're there and you're the only one who has this fire inside of you. Maybe you're at school and you're having a hard time um, concentrating on that school or that work or whatever the case may be, and you just seem to be disconnected from that experience that you had. Maybe you're a little bit older. Maybe you're in your, your 20s or early 30s, young people that I used to be just like a year ago. Wait a minute, I'm still in my 30s. I'm turning 40 in uh, 17 days. So then I can officially call everyone else young. So you're, you're living on your own. You've broken out of that box that maybe people had told you you'd never get out of. You've, you've succeeded in ways that you never had thought you'd be able to succeed, but you're growing up. And, and yet with all of this amazing stuff, you're now dealing with marital problems financial problems, job problems. Maybe you haven't figured out exactly what you want to be in life and you're on your third or fourth job in a couple of years. You want to live for God, but there's just so many things that keep popping up that call your, your demands back to what, what we have been told is, oh, that's just your secular life. That's just your secular whatever. Or maybe you're a, a mature adult. You, you've gone through those experiences and you've lived through those ups and downs of life, but now you're in a role, a job, a position, whatever it is that, that you're, you're stuck in because this is what you were always meant to be, right? I, I was born and raised as a mechanic and that's what I do. but you're feeling burnt out. You're feeling bored, maybe. You're feeling frustrated. You're feeling limited. You're feeling somehow unsatisfied, but this is what you do, and this is what the role that you're in, this is how that role is supposed to be. You get spiritually recharged on the weekends, but then Tuesday hits, and you find out it's actually a lot harder to live out the Torah than what everyone else was saying, how easy it is for them in Bible study. How many of you have heard that before? You don't actually find joy, maybe, in keeping the commandments. You don't even want to admit it to yourself because, well, this is what God wants me to do. But you find yourself bitter like that other son in the story of the parable son. Ah, oh, I've lived here all my life, Dad, and all you gave me was a measly little goat. I'm keeping your, your commandments, but everyone else is having a party. Or maybe you struggle in living out that, that life of allegiance. What does it actually mean to be allegiant to the king? You're burned out, you're tired, you're tuned out, you're exhausted. Or maybe this is you. Maybe you believe in the promises of God. Others have told you, just, just have faith. Just pray a little harder. Just believe a little bit harder. He'll give you his healing. He'll give you his peace. He'll give you his blessings. But here you are, right after praying, and your foot still hurts. 
Here you are, still in fear, even though you've been praying for that peace. Here you are, still in debt, even though you've been praying for that prosperity and you sent in your money to that preacher on the TV. Hopefully none of you fell for that one. But you're not experiencing that promise that, that, that others had told you was there to grasp no matter how sincerely you ask. So what I'm here to do today is I'm going to give you five simple steps to figure out all these problems. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. There's no such thing as five simple steps for all your problems. If you're here for a, for a quick fix, it's just, it, it, it's not a reality that we face. I listed all these things because the majority of these, almost every single one that I, I just mentioned, they're all things that I've faced in my life. And what I've discovered in, in my 39 and 11 month, 11, 12th years on this earth is there's no magic bullet that will fix everything. There's nothing that's gonna make Tuesday feel like a Shabbat every single week. It's a journey, and you can't skip the steps. And you don't want to actually skip the steps. It may seem like that. How many of you saw the lottery that just happened recently? I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life, but I, I do find it interesting sometimes to just have that mental exercise. And man, what would it be like if? And when you hear 1.24 billion with a B, dollars after taxes, 50 cents. I mean, uh, it still ended up being a lot of uh, more million than I'll ever see. You're like, man, what could I do with that? I would be so great with that. I would invest that. I'd turn that 400 million after taxes into a billion in like five years, right? And then you're like, man, but, but it'd be nice to have this and it'd be nice to have that. I, I just spend a little bit over here and a little bit over there. And it was interesting because I was reading this article on what happens to people who win the lottery. How many of you have ever read any articles on that? It's crazy. Something like 80% of them within five years are broke, in prison, or dead. 80% of lottery winners broke in prison, or dead. Whew, what happened there? They wanted the magic bullet. They wanted to go there without the journey. And the thing is, is if you go through all of those things without going through the journey, you're not gonna know how to handle the gift. Israel, Israel went into the promised land and did God say, all right, I'm gonna wipe them all out and give you guys a clean slate of land. No, our God understands us. Our God is, has wisdom beyond measure. He said, guess what, guys? I'm gonna give it to you one square mile at a time because you're not ready to handle the fullness of that gift yet. You haven't gone through the journey to get there. 
And the journey is not going to be easy. It's not going to just be a a simple walk in the, the park. It's going to be tough. There's going to be times where you struggle, where you, you, you think that everything's a failure, but that's all part of the journey. You look even in Acts, Pentecost, right? God filled humanity with the Holy Spirit. Did they just crush the world after that? Did everything just fall into place right after that? No. There were murders. There were struggles. How many times did they have to dust off their feet at a city. We're, not, we're, we're told a couple examples, but you think how many times did they face failure, even when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit? What makes God think that, that he's going to magically fix our situation in our life? If he magically, or whatever we're going to say, if he... he, he did a miracle and and gave you everything you wanted, would you be able to handle the gift? If he fixed your situation, would you be prepared for what that meant? Think about that, that man that was laying there at the pool, unable to walk all of his life. Yeshua doesn't just go up to him and heals him. He first asks him a question. What was that question? Do you actually want me to heal you? And, and we're all sitting here thinking, well, of course. While you're at it, throw on, a, throw on a, a, a mansion and some other things in there. But think about what that meant for that, that person, that beggar, that, that lame man. That meant that now that he could walk, there was all the things that came with it. Now that you can walk, people aren't just going to give you Sustenance. You're going to have to get up and work for it. Now that you can walk, you're going to experience everything that comes with that. The responsibility. Are you ready for that responsibility? I would love it if I could pray and God would magically slim me down. It'd be amazing. But one sermon from Brian Serrano and where he mentions that delicious jalapeno and and, uh, pineapple pizza, I'm going to be right back at this weight again. You have to learn how to use that gift. So what I want to do today in the time here, is I just want to share with you some of the wisdom that I have picked up along the way. Again, it's not a magic bullet. It's not a magic fix. But what it will hopefully do is help you on your journey. Because that's really what we have to offer each other. And that's really what the Bible is about. It's not about telling you how to, how to fix everything. It's about giving you wisdom so that in your own personal journey that you'll be able to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can maybe get through a little bit easier and make your own mistakes that you can then pass on to others. Don't think that just because you made a mistake that somehow you're a failure, that somehow you didn't have enough faith, that somehow, whatever the case may be, your mistakes 
are what you are able to share with other people so that they have wisdom, so that their journey doesn't go through that path. Think about some of the most influential people of all time. Who, who really, I mean, like, I'm not talking about, you know, like the Clintons or whoever like that. I'm talking about people who've really changed other people's lives. How did they do that? My friend Nathan Harmon, his, he didn't go through life without any mistakes. He made some really bad mistakes, and of course, that's his story to share, and he's shared it. But because he went through those horrible things, he's been able to touch so many lives. We shouldn't be afraid of those mistakes. We shouldn't be afraid of those failures. We shouldn't be afraid of on, if on Tuesday we don't have that same fire. And we're, we, we had that whole plan on how to witness to all of our friends. And we get there and we're like, all right, let's go do that other thing that we used to do all the time that I know I shouldn't be doing. It's okay when you fail. Learn from it. Next time, do something different. Try it a little bit different. I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share with you some things that, that potentially can help you so that yes, you're still gonna make those mistakes, but every time you're gonna get a little bit better. You're gonna have a little bit of a step forward. But first I wanna talk about sin. Because I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our, in our walk is a complete misunderstanding of what sin is. And because we don't actually address sin, we end up feeling like a failure. Because we don't actually know what sin is when we continue to live out sin, even though we've repented, even though we've given over our life to God. You think about Paul. What did Paul say? I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. So let's talk a little bit about sin. Most famous line out there, sin is a violation of the law or the Torah. We've all been taught to really view sin almost exclusively through the lens of this verse. John Calvin, he was a a lawyer and he permeated Protestant Christianity with this this law-oriented view of sin. And so we've been taught to view sin as if it's, its only real effect is that it's really just some contractual violation and God, who is beholden to Lady Justice, must punish you because you violated the law and the only fair thing to do is to punish you. And therefore, well, he sent his son so that he doesn't have to punish you. And so the record is erased and we're all good, right? Now that the record has been erased, but that's a low view of sin. That doesn't really talk about the effects that sin has and why God hates sin so much. God doesn't hate sin simply because he came up with a couple of laws to see if you'd you'd keep them and then you broke them. God created these laws 
because he has the wisdom, he has the, the, the understanding of the human experience. He has the wisdom, he has the understanding of human culture. And he realizes and recognizes that these things that may sound good to us actually hurt us, actually hurt those around us. And so, yes, sin upsets him. Yes, sin is a violation of his commandment. But the whole reason is, is because he loves us and wants what's best for us in our lives. We talk about this as if it's just an offense to be forgiven. But when you look at the the sacrificial system, for example, in Leviticus, there's a lot more there than just getting forgiveness. There's an entire ritual. It's all about this, making this journey towards restoring shalom. And Leviticus ensconces that within this sacred act of sacrifice. And when we hear sacrifice, we don't get it. Why? Because we don't live in that system. We don't, we don't have sacrifices But let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. When you allow yourself to go into a place where you are consumed with pornography, that is a sin. But it's an enslavement. Yes, God hates that as a sin, but what he really hates is the fact that it enslaves you. It corrupts you. It changes who you are at a core. It makes it so that you can't have a normal relationship with your wife because you have this unrealistic understanding of what love is. It makes it so that you struggle with relationships, just, just normal relationships with the opposite sex of any type because you have been, your mind has been corrupted with this corrosive thing. You're enslaved to that sin. Paul talks about this. He says, do you not know to whom you present yourself you become a slave to, whether it's to sin or whether it's to righteousness. You can become enslaved to righteousness. That's where we want to be. But you can become enslaved to sin. Alcohol. People who who become alcoholics, they're enslaved to to it. They can't function without it. It permeates their life. That's what sin is. That's why God hates sin so much is because it permeates your life and it changes the very core of who you are. And even after you receive forgiveness, even after you receive deliverance, the scars are still there. The scars are still there. How many of you have ever been delivered from a sin, but you you still have those scars? 
You still have those struggles. Yes, you no longer do that thing. Yes, you're no longer tempted by that thing, but it's still deep down inside, scars your relationship with others. When Yeshua came preaching, he came and preached the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. What's interesting to me is that when you take the Greek word there behind that translation, forgiveness of sins, it's the Greek word aphesis. And then if you take that using some really super cool Bible technology and you, you say, where did this word aphesis in the Greek appear in the Hebrew Bible? You'll find out that it comes from the Hebrew word yovel. Yovel. Now, does that word sound a little familiar to those of you who know a little bit of Hebrewish? Yovel is where we get our word jubilee. And the jubilee was this sacred ritual where every 49th year, on the Day of Atonement, going into the 50th year, you would declare a jubilee. Now, what does it mean to declare a jubilee? Thank you for asking. Um, it is where if you had become enslaved, if you had, through poor financial dealings, through whatever, and most of the time realize when people became enslaved, it wasn't because someone captured them. It was because they messed up. They didn't, weren't good stewards with their finances or whatever the case may be, and they sold themselves into slavery. They sold themselves into slavery, much like how when you go down that path towards sin, you are selling yourself into slavery. Or if you didn't quite get to the, the, the poor point that you had to sell yourself, you at least sold your land and you went into an exile. And so on the 50th year, there was this aphesis, there was this yovel, there was this jubilee, there was this declaration that you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer an exile from the land where God is with you. And so I propose to you that when we think about sin, we should really think of it in terms of enslavement. And when we think about forgiveness, we should think of it more in terms of being released from that bondage, being returned from that exile, recognizing that we're gonna come back with scars. You think about the Judean exile, when they come back out of Babylon, did they have a couple scars with them? Did they have a couple effects? of that year, those years, those 70 years in exile? Absolutely, absolutely. And so in our own lives or when we're ministering to others, we need to recognize it's more than just standing up there and saying, Jesus, forgive me. It's more than that. You're gonna be dealing with the scars of the sins that you've had or that person who you're praying over. They, they may be released, they may be forgiven, but there's still gonna be those scars. And those scars will be with us till the day that we die. 
You can be, you know, the, uh, maybe you, you were someone who cut themselves or something like that. You can be forgiven, you can be released from that, but those scars aren't going to magically disappear. We live with, the, with our past. We, we learn from our past, but we will always continue to struggle with that. And so when it comes to looking at what's next, it's about sitting down and finding ways to deal with that. When you're, you're meeting with someone who's, who's been released, who's been set free from those things, it's about, okay, you've been forgiven, you've been released, what now? How do we now take where you're at and move you to the place where you need to be? The next thing that I want to talk about in relationship to how to progress into the next week is this idea of a thread and a setup. And I talked about this at camp. This is something that, that for me really helped me to move into a, a different place. Um, so the idea is, is that each and every one of us has a thread, and that's who you are. That, that's that's who, who you are at a core. And then there is a setup, which is where you're currently at. And oftentimes we don't, we, we recognize our setup and we confuse our setup with our thread. And we think, ah, well, I'm a whatever, I'm, I'll use myself. Ah, I'm a teacher, therefore, that is who I am at my core. I've been a lot of things in my life. I have four degrees. I have a degree in nuclear engineering. I have a degree in nursing. I have a degree in biblical studies. And I have a degree in the IT side of nursing. And my wife looks at me and says, when are you gonna figure out what you wanna do? You're crazy. I've also done things such as home remodeling and, and, and I was a waiter uh, as I was growing up. I've done all sorts of, of different things and I might look back and, and say, man, I failed at being a nuclear engineer, I failed at this, I failed at that. Or I could tell another story and I could look beneath the surface and say, each of those was a setup. That was just a place that God had me in at that point in time, but none of those is who I am. I was not a nuclear power plant operator. I was not a nurse. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a supervisor of knowledge and technology management. Try to say that 10 times fast. Um, that's not who I am. That's just my setup. That's currently where I'm at. Underlying that, I am someone who is highly analytical, highly inquisitive. I love to look at something and figure out how does this work? What's going on beneath the surface? If any of you ever listen to my teachings, that's how I love to approach scripture. 
I don't like to take the easy subjects. I like to go, what's, okay, we've got the, the sacrificial system. I don't really care about how they actually did it. What's going on beneath the surface? Why did they sprinkle blood there? Why did they have to eat the meat in this one, but not eat the meat in that one? I love that, that underlying current there. I love to take those things, I love to break them down and turn them into something easy to, that other people can understand. That's the thread that God has given me. That's the core of who I am. And that's, that, that thread works in each of those setups. In the nuclear power field, I had to know a whole lot. I didn't really have to do a lot. I just sat there and stared at a panel that didn't ever change because it's all automated. And I was there in case the backups to the backups failed. I had to understand it, break it down you know, mentally, and figure out how to fix what's going on. And I also was in the training department, so I had to teach other people how to do that. As an ICU nurse, way different career, right? Not really. I had to understand the complexities of the human body. And when that heart stopped beating, I had to know in an instant what to do to get that heart beating again and how to troubleshoot and figure out why that heart stopped beating so that we can get it going again. Being part of a team doing that. I do the same thing now in the, elect in the, the world of of IT where we're, we're really talking about how to move patients around a system. I love doing that. It's all about figuring out, all right, we've got X number of beds. We've got way few nurses because there's a huge nursing shortage right now. And we've got patients through the roof coming into the hospital system. How can we maximize getting patients in and getting their care? It's a puzzle to be solved. There's a thread there. You could feel like a failure if your career has suddenly taken off into a completely different realm. Or you could realize that in life, nothing is this straight line that we're told where you're, you're just gonna find a career and you're gonna progress up the ladder, blah, 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 blah. In life, when you look at rivers, they don't flow straight to their point, from their point of origin to where they're going. They take twists and turns, and sometimes they kind of double back, and they do all these different things. Your life is going to be like that as well. Your walk with the Lord is going to be like that as well. It's not going to be this straight line where you're just you know, on your way to heaven. There's going to be twists and turns. You're going to read the Psalms, and you realize, guess what? Everyone else has gone through this too. You think the psalmist didn't have some problems? Guy needed a psychologist sometimes. Psalms 1, was it 137? Blessed be the man who smashes Babylonian babies' heads on the rocks. Whew. Have you talked to your therapist? Whole nother topic there. I love that psalm because it's one of those things where everyone's like, oh, wait a minute, he... Oh, yeah, he said that. Oh, how do I deal with that? Well, God hates the Babylonians. No, God doesn't hate the Babylonians. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice that this psalmist didn't say, and then I went out and smashed up a bunch of babies. But he had that emotion. He had that, that, that hurt and that fear and that pain and he was willing to scream at God and say, how could you do this, God? 
and give it in that proper way to the Lord. One of the most important things out there is to not confuse your setup with your thread, your current setup. Maybe God's going to have you in this for a while, but maybe you've already given the gift and God's trying to, the, the clouds already moved on, but you're not willing to go. You're not willing to stay. Think about Israel. They had a certain particular setup. God had put them in the land. God had given them this temple. God had given them this priesthood. God had given them these rituals. And that was the setup. And it was good. And it was holy. And there was a gift being given through that. But eventually, the gift stopped giving. Because God had told them what? My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. There was nothing wrong with that setup other than the fact that that setup was not the thread. It was not who God ultimately was and who he wanted them to be. There, there was a, 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 a part where God puts them into this particular group and says, all right, fix yourselves. All right, now that you're fixed, go out and fix the rest of the world. That's what Israel is called to do, is to be the people through whom God is rescuing all of creation. And yet, what did they do? They took this, this teaching tool, this temple, and they turned it into an idol. They turned it into a reason to hate the other nations, to hate other people, and to think that they were better. And so God sends his son, who calls them out on it, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of revolutionaries. So with that word there, that word robbers, doesn't mean people who steal. It means political revolutionaries who valued nationality over humanity. They were so consumed with their own national identity, they didn't realize that God's children were red and yellow, black and white. They didn't realize that ultimately that setup was done. Remember that time that God became more like Moses? Moses on the mountain, God up there talking to him, God, I'm going to kill all these people. Look at them worshiping that golden calf. Moses, really God? You sure you want to do that? What are all the nations going to think? And it says that God changed his mind. And we're like, whoa, wait a minute, God doesn't change. Yes, God doesn't change. But no, God does change. Can I propose to you that there's a particular thread of God, that God has this, this love, this insane love for us as human beings, but we as human beings have to have a particular setup in which we interact with him. And so he comes to us in one form when we need that one form 
but it's always to move the ball forward. It's always to move it towards where he really wanted to reveal himself. Moses gave you the ability to divorce, but that's not God's plan from the beginning. He made this allowance because you needed that particular setup for God. I propose to you, when Yeshua came, he didn't come as some different God. It's not the nice Yeshua versus the angry God of the Old Testament who's going to kill all these people in, in an instant. Yeshua is God. Yeshua reveals to us who God was all along. Yeshua reveals that those, those other thing, times where we don't quite understand why God would do that, when we look at, here's Yeshua doing this and, and here's God, we don't need dispensationalism to say, oh, well, God was this, this way and this God was this, this way at this period of time. We recognize it's God reaching out to us in a different setup, but that, that thread, it's always there. God has always loved us. When you look at your own life, what thread has God created you with? What setup has he put you in? Think about your current setup. Is this where God has you? Or has the cloud moved on? Have you given your gift into that, that setup and now the cloud's no longer there? And maybe Tuesday doesn't feel like Shabbat because you're, you're, you're staying in that current setup too long. You've been told this is the box that you're, you're to be in and you've been, you've been stuck in that box for so long because this is who I am. Without realizing that's not who you are. That's just where you're currently at. That's your current form. That's your current manifestation. But God has something so much greater for you if you're willing to step out of the box that you have put yourself in. So that's your homework going out of this. I want you to consider all the various things. It doesn't have to be careers. It can be hobbies. It can be whatever the case may be. Think about all the things that you've done and try to find the thread. Find what connects all those seemingly disconnected bends in the river. Discover what your function is. As a bonus... How does your, fit, your thread fit into the body of Messiah? Don't think about traditional roles. Traditional roles are, well, if you're a pastor, this is what you do. If you're a teacher, this is what you do. Who created those, those roles? We did. Culture has, and it can be Christian culture, whatever the case may be. We have created this idea that this is what a pastor must be. This is what a pastor must do. Or we should all be teachers. I, I came into this movement, and that, that, was, that was kind of the, the underlying mentality. Oh, we all need to be teachers at some level, right? How many, how many of you started your, be honest, how many of you started your own ministry within a year? 
You, you, you had your own little name for a ministry. Anyone? Oh, okay. I'm the only heretic here. <laughs> I see so many times you, you get caught up and you're like, oh, I got to start a ministry. Maybe if, if God's calling you that, but, but no, you don't. One of the, the most amazing things that I learned in Israel, we were in... I'm blanking on the name of the place. It's out in the, the Terry's Moshe and Leah. Maybe you met them in, in one of the settlements. Itamar, Itamar, yes, thank you. Itamar, uh, Moshe and Leah, and Leah comes up there. And I mean, just the most profound thing I'd ever heard that just was completely out of left field was God didn't bring Israel into the land to study the Torah. I was like, what? No, they're all supposed to be, we're all supposed to be teachers. We're all, he said, she said, God brought them in to raise families, to be farmers, to be shepherds. He called out a certain group of people to empower them with the Torah. Remember, they didn't all have Bibles. We live in a very different society. God didn't bring them into the land to all do one thing. There's always been a body. And in a body, every part has a different purpose. Every part has a different function. Every part has a, a certain gift to give. What's your gift to give? And don't let it be defined by these traditional roles that you've seen set up. So now that we've got there, how, how do we start to make a change? We, we recognize it's Tuesday, things didn't go as I planned. How do I start to actually implement these things in my life? And, and we, we're, we're excited, we're like, yes, I need to start praying for more people. How many of you have had that in your mind? I need to start praying for more people. How many times did you find out that that didn't work, having that thought in your mind? That you got to the next Shabbat and you're like, man, I didn't pray for a single person. I failed. We set too high and too general of goals for us. We, we think that, that we can go from here to hear. We think that we've won the spiritual lottery and that God is just going to instantly change us into that perfect believer. And it's, it's not that we actually think that, but we have this kind of like this underlying concept. We, we, we haven't been taught that that's not how the world works. You don't go from never praying for anyone to praying for the entire camp of, of Camp Yeshua overnight. Did you? You probably started with one person. When you're going to make your goals, when you're, you're, you recognize there's a need to change, God has moved me into a different setup, and now I need to be that person who prays for people. I'm just using that as an example. Use whatever example you want in your own mind. You need to have small, specific steps. Don't try to pray for the entire camp Pray for one person. And if you make it to two, you just doubled what you had set out to do. It's like if you're training for a marathon. You don't start by running a marathon. 
You do like I would do. You run to the mailbox and back, and you're like, whew, I won. I love to lift weights. I don't like to run unless I'm being chased by lions, which is why I live in America, (laughs) not where lions live. Smart, start small, start specific. Make it hard to do the wrong thing. This is one thing that I've learned. I've I've never had too much of a problem with candy, but I love chips, especially tortilla chips that are just loaded with salt, those uh, um, uh, on-the-border chips. Those are amazing. I saw them out there, and God's, or some, not God, someone's out there tempting me. Start small. Make it hard. Make it hard to do those things. I still have chips in the house, but I don't leave them on the counter. I put them back where it's hard to get to them. You're not going to be able to cut off that that thing you're wrestling with immediately uh, unless the, the spirit just absolutely pours into you. And that does happen from time to time. I, I'm not discounting the spirit by any means, but oftentimes that, that spirit pouring out is more for, for the point of, of a sign to you that God is there with you. You think about, I was thinking about this at Camp Yeshua. Does God heal people? Absolutely, we saw it there. We saw people got, got healed there. And yet Ephraim still hired, not hired or whatever, had a medic there. Did he just not have enough faith? Or did he recognize that healing is real, it is for us, and we should be doing that, but at the same time, it's there as a sign of God's power. It's not how God is going to fix the world, but it's there to show us that God can do that and empower us to get out there and be the people through whom healing flows out in ways that can be explained. And so when we're doing this, we, we have to be intentional. We have to, if, if you're struggling with whatever it is, make it hard to do that thing. If you're, if you're trying to give up smoking, you don't have to, to throw out all your cigarettes and act like cigarettes don't, don't exist. Oh, I can't see that. Maybe start by locking them in your car and so that if you want to smoke, you have to leave your house and go out to your car and open your car. You, you make that more difficult. On the flip side, if it's something that you want to do, I want to start praying for people. Okay, create a list of the people that you want to pray for and leave it out on the counter. Make it easier. Small, simple, specific steps. And remember, too, that failure is not ultimately a failure. I'm probably going to walk out of here and I'm probably going to eat one of those chips. They were calling my name. Last night, I, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been really working on my, my, my diet, but I'm here to confess that last night after Brian's amazing sermon, I ordered a Domino's pizza with pineapple and jalapenos and that white sauce on it. And it was amazing. 
and I ate way too many slices. But it's not a failure. It's a learning experience. You know how I felt after that? I did not feel good. And so I I learned a little bit more that even after a hard week at Camp Yeshua, I still haven't earned that pizza. Um, I still need to have that. Don't let your failures define you. Don't let them, them consume you. The last thing I want to talk about here, and, and I, I'm, only, I'm going to take just, just a, a minute to talk about it, is something that is a boring corporate acronym that I've learned at work, but I've, I've found it really has made me understand why our churches are failing. Um, the acronym is ADCAR, A-D-K-A-R, and it's a change management acronym. At work, we, we and in, in the corporate world, Corporations spend billions and billions of dollars on projects to make things better. How many of those succeed? Not very many. And what they've found is that the reason why these projects, these initiatives, these things, these outreaches fail is because we're really good at, at, at telling people that they need to change, but we're really bad at managing the change. We're really good at telling people how to keep the Torah. We're really bad about empowering them on having that actual change, giving them that ability and reinforcing that ability. So ADCAR, A, awareness. Being aware of the nature of the change and the risk of not changing. D, desire, the personal choice to support that change. You actually, if you want to change, you actually have to desire that change. K, knowledge, I think we all got that down, right? Ability, we struggle with that a lot of the times. I've gone through a lot of, of and I, I did it, I, I taught a lot of stuff but in my past, and it was just knowledge. There was no way to actually do anything with what I was teaching. We have to give that ability to actually do something with that knowledge. Is, is the earth flat or round? Who cares about that knowledge if you don't, if there's nothing you can do with that knowledge? It's not going to create any change. It's just knowledge. And then R for reinforcement. You can tell someone, oh, this is how you do it, but you got to, to reinforce that behavior. So with that in mind, the, 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 the really cool thing that this, um, the book on this um, talks about is you have to go through this, this, these stages sequentially. You have to go through these. You have to create awareness before you can give someone a desire. And this is where we, we miss, I think, a lot of times. You have to create desire before you can impart knowledge. Let me say that one again. You've got to create a desire for the change before you can impart knowledge. That Christmas tree's pagan. Well, why do you still have a Christmas tree there? I told you it was pagan. I told you it was 
uh, the things that we, we claim. Why didn't you listen? God says, don't eat that lobster. Why are you still eating it? If God told you to, you should just stop, right? You just don't love God. You're not really a Christian. You're not really a believer. Hopefully none of us in that room or in this room or at that place, we've, we've either been there or we've, we've seen that effect, right? How many times does that work? Never. Never. Because until you create a desire for that change, you can cram knowledge down their throat all you want. You can post memes all over the internet. And you're never going to make an impact in this world because you have to have that desire before you impart the knowledge. And then, of course, it seems obvious, but I've been there. I've been so focused on, on the knowledge aspect. If we don't give them the ability, and if we don't reinforce that, there's one that I've been guilty of, the reinforcement. Well, I already taught that teaching three years ago. Why would I teach that again? I gotta go on to the next subject, right? No, it's okay to keep circulating the same thing over and over and over and over again because without that reinforcement, the change will not stick. So to kind of summarize this up, it's Tuesday what now? Life is a journey. Take it slow. Lean into that change. Use the wisdom. Find the joy in the journey. Don't think that you have to rush to get to the end point. Don't be afraid to ask where the Spirit of God is leading you. And even if it doesn't make sense, find the joy in that journey. See, joy doesn't mean everything's, you're happy, that everything's going exactly according to plan. Joy, you can find joy in the midst of suffering and pain and the worst things you can imagine going on in life. It's how you choose to approach whatever is happening. Don't be defined by boxes. Your successes, they're not measured in relationship to how other people are. God has currently put me in this setup as a teacher, but that doesn't mean that I should compare myself to Ephraim or to Chris or to Rico or, or any of the other people because I have my particular setup and my box is not their box and their box is not my box. Don't measure yourself, your successes against other people and where they're at. You don't know their journey. Be specific. Be intentional about that change. And most of all, remember, God's kingdom, it's like a mustard seed or it's like a measure of leaven. It's put in there, it's small, and it doesn't instantaneously, you don't, when you put leaven in bread or when you plant a seed in the ground, it doesn't instantly just spring up. It takes time. And that's hard for us because we live in this instant gratification society. God, I just prayed for my ankle. Uh, why is it still hurting? 
God, I gave my life to you. I, I, I asked for forgiveness of sins. Why am I still struggling with these things? It's a mustard seed. It's, it's leaven. It's something that grows slowly. But if you allow it to happen, if you lean into that change, if you embrace the joy in the journey, it's going to fully blossom into your life and it's going to be something absolutely greater than you can ever imagine. Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our King, our Savior, our shield, our Redeemer, our strength, our rock in times of trouble. Father, we all go through our ups and downs in life. Father, we all go through our Camp Yeshua's or our Revives or our Sukkot's or, or whatever that, that is. Maybe it's, it's the, that Shabbat. Father, we go through those, those times where we're spiritually charged and we're on fire with the Holy Spirit. We're on fire for you, Lord. And then we go through those times where, where we, we wonder, was it all a sham? Why is, why is this so hard? Father, we know that you're there with us. Father, we know that your spirit is there with us, but Father, we know that this life is a journey and that we are graced by it, that it's your gift to us to go through all of these things because it prepares us for the kingdom that you and your son are preparing for us, Father. Father, I ask that this, these, everyone listening here and, and indeed all of your people, all the, the youth at Camp Yeshua, all of the people in this movement, all, all of the people in the world, Father, that they, they be granted your peace, your joy, they be granted with your wisdom, Father, that they, that they learn to love you and that they learn that even when you, it seems like you're not there, that they can lean into you, Father. I pray these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. If we could all rise, please. We'd like to send.